first up, developer Blastar has just released another Neo Geo homebrew game that's kind of modeled after Flappy Bird. It's called Flappy Chicken. And instead of dying every time you hit anything, this one allows you to kind of jump on your enemies, Super Mario style, um, to kind of jump on them and, and, you know, knock them out as you're flapping around. And it seems like a fun you know, Neo Geo style Flappy Bird game. And the way Blastar releases their games is through Patreon. So if you support them on Patreon, I believe even at the lowest tier, you get access to the games. So that's kind of cool. I mean, that's pretty cheap to get a bunch of free homebrew and it kind of incentivizes you to continue to support them so that you could get more. Blastar has been releasing a couple other games, which I believe we covered already on here. Um, if not, definitely check it out and you know go through Ray's post to see everything else uh, that, that's been released on this. But these are also not only released you know, as homebrew to play, but they're released as basically everything. You could play them on MAME, you could play them on the Neo SD or the Darksoft cart, you could play them on a Neo Geo CD, and uh, obviously you could also play them on Mister. So, uh, you know, if you're into any games uh, or any kind of fun homebrew or you just want new games for your Neo Geo, maybe check out that Patreon account and see if some of the other games are for you. But at the very least, check out Ray's post. There's a whole bunch of cool stuff in here. A second round of pre-orders are open for Todd's Super Nintendo to Neo Geo controller adapter. And at the time of recording this, pre-orders are still open. So hopefully more than enough were made this time. The first round sold out in like a minute and a half, uh, obviously proving that people really wanted this. But essentially, if you have any Super Nintendo controller, including some of the wireless ones, you could have it work in anything that accepts a Neo Geo port, including obviously Neo Geo consoles, but also super guns. And depending on how your super gun is wired, you might even be able to have buttons five and six wired through there as well. So if this is something that you are interested in, definitely check out the link. Um, the only thing that wouldn't work are probably things like the SNES mouse or super scope, things that you wouldn't be able to use on light guns or, or on light guns on, <laughs> on Neo Geo or on super guns anyway. So if you're looking for a cool controller adapter that even works with the, you know, the wireless ones, definitely check this one out. And Todd has a very short video that's uh, kind of a promo of it. It's only 40 seconds long. So if you wanted to, to get a sense of, of what it's like, definitely check that out as well. Cause while, um, while YouTube shorts kind of annoy me, I love the idea of like a short promo videos, just so you can get a sense of what it is that you're buying without having to sit through a very long and boring video. I know I'm guilty of that. Sorry. The Japanese-only Sega Dreamcast game Rent-A-Hero No. 1 has just gotten a full English translation patch. And this game is kind of a fun game with some unique humor, and it's kind of a, a 3D reimagining of the original Mega Drive game. And this was done by Vincent NL and his Rent-A-Modders team. And overall, it just looks pretty incredible. And in fact, Derek, who wrote this post, welcome Derek to your first post here on Retro RGB. Thanks for an awesome first post, but... Derek is someone who's also worked on a bunch of Dreamcast translations, and Derek called this without a doubt the most thorough feature-packed translation patch ever to grace Sega's swan song console. As a Dreamcast translation patch developer myself, I say this with 99% admiration for my friend Vincent and his team's outstanding work, with just 1% hint of jealousy. 
<laughs> yes, the patch is really that good. So that's awesome. That's, you know, that is a huge compliment coming from the, the right person to make it. So uh, Derek has absolutely everything summed up in this poach, uh, in this post if you want to try it out. You're also able to use uh, the standard patching tools available out there if you'd like to try it. And this looks like a fun game. This actually looks like something I would really like to try out one day. Maybe I could do a live stream of it with Derek or something at some point in the future. It's really hard to, to make time to do those, but you know, I would love to at some point, but every detail you could want is here in the post, um, more credits, you know, more details and everything. And it, it just, it looks like a ton of fun. So if you want to experience a brand new dreamcast game for the first time, at the very least check out the post, but this game looks like it might be worth your time as well. The musician Remute has just opened pre-orders on his latest album called To The Bone, which is going to be released on a Commodore 64 cartridge. And if you'd like, you could also get an edition that includes a 7-inch vinyl record. It's scheduled to be released on July 7th of this year, and two tracks are available immediately during the pre-order. Also, all revisions of the Commodore 64, no matter if it's PAL or NTSC, should work fine. An 8580 SID is recommended, but the 6581 would work too. Now, much like all of Remute's other albums on consoles, all of the music gets generated in real time by the SID sound chip of the Commodore 64, except for the song In the Dark, which showcases high-quality native digital audio playback, which is kind of a unique thing for the C64. Um, so this is, you know, as usual, a unique and awesome experience. I did a an interview with Remute a while back that kind of talks about this, but the short version is after making some very awesome techno-ish albums for years, Remute started making albums on video game cartridges that generates the music with or from the console itself. So it's not like playing a CD back on a PlayStation where you're just playing CD audio back. All of these are being generated by the sound chips on the consoles, which gives it a really, really unique experience. And some of those, to be honest, some of those songs are just good songs. I would probably listen to them and like them no matter where I heard them from. But experiencing them on original hardware is always unique and different because you get the same quirks that you would with games. So the best example is, you know, Sega Genesis, you could play it on an original Model 1, or you could play it on some Model 2s that have the different sound chips, and you have a slightly different sounding album. So if you're into unique experiences for the Commodore 64 and good music, please check out Crystal's post, and this is probably going to be another awesome one, just like Remute's other albums. The developer Goldlock has just released a brand new free SNES homebrew game called Supercooked, which is kind of like a demake of Ghost Town Games Overcooked for modern consoles. It looks absolutely awesome. You know, nice bright colors, good gameplay, and it works on everything. Emulation, Mr., original hardware via ROM cart, whatever. And it's completely free. So this is definitely a must try if you're into multiplayer games like this. I believe up to four players can play on it. And Ray's post shows a bunch of different details. There's a, a playthrough here that's uh, embedded in. And it just looks like a really fun game. I wish we kind of got more homebrew games on the SNES, but this certainly looks like more than enough to get started with. And uh, I'm, I'm just happy that I get a, another SNES game to play. So thanks very much to Goldlock. And obviously also thanks to Ray for writing it up for us. Developer Knight of Dragon has just released an English translation patch for the game Shadows of the Tusk. 
This game has all of the text and hints translated, making strategic gameplay much simpler, and the patch will work with Joe's netband tunnel patch of the game for online netplay. At the moment, Knight of Dragon doesn't have any plans to translate the story campaign, but folks are welcome to step in and help out if you'd like. So this is pretty cool because I believe Dave and Pat did a stream a while back where they tried to do a net play of this, but there was also some translation stuff you had to kind of deal with. And while it was pretty cool, this would certainly make it a lot easier. So as I always say, I know you're probably all annoyed with me for saying it, but I'm so appreciative of English translations or really translating any game into any other language because it allows people to experience them and it kind of feels like a brand new game for an old console at least brand new to me because i can't read or speak japanese so it's really cool if you want any of the details if you want to see it in action and obviously links to where to get it please check out the post but this is always exciting stuff so thanks so much to knight of dragon for working on this and obviously thanks to all translators and of course thanks to the shiro team for always keeping us in the loop of this stuff and not only just telling us about it, but demoing and showing us how to use it and posting all of this awesome info on here. So if you're interested, please check out the post, which has strategy guides, downloads, and everything else in it. But uh, this looks like a fun one. Jackpot Records have just launched a pre-order for a vinyl version of music from the 80s and 90s Bally Williams Pinball Machines. Each volume is priced at $30, with the scheduled release being quarter three of this year. So... It looks like there's two different volumes and there's two different stores that you could order it from. Um, and it includes music from Black Knight 2000, Tales of the Arabian Nights, Attack from Mars, Taxi and Pinbot. And volume two has music from Funhouse, Medieval Madness, Theater of Magic, Bonsai Run and Fish Tales. So if you're a fan of music from pinball machines from that era and you're looking to collect a vinyl version of it, then now is absolutely the time. Uh, I very ignorantly, very ignorantly didn't realize there was a big scene where people wanted music from these pinball machines. But now that I thought about it and say it out loud, why would that be any different than a video game or a movie soundtrack or anything else? So it's very cool that people who are interested in this get a chance to buy it. Uh, and if you don't care at all, hey, at least you learned something new about soundtracks for pinball machines. 8-Bit Doe has just launched a $20 wired USB controller they're calling the Ultimate C. It's kind of Xbox 360-esque with uh, two sets of trigger buttons on the back, two analog sticks, a D-pad, and four face buttons with plus, minus, and home buttons on there. And they list compatibility as Windows, Android, Steam Deck, and Raspberry Pi. It's Obviously safe to assume it will also work on the Mister, but they didn't specifically mention Switch support, so I'm not sure if that's a thing or if there would need to be a different firmware or if it just works and it's not advertised at all. Unfortunately, as usual, no latency measurements have been published at all for this, so it's going to be up to us to test it. And also, unfortunately, previous 8 controllers have ranged from under a millisecond of latency, freaking awesome, to... 10 milliseconds of average latency, which is meh. So it's not like they're consistently putting out the same thing over and over. This would definitely need to be tested for you to get exactly what it is, you know, for you to guarantee a low latency controller. But in all honesty, for 20 bucks, if this is the type of controller you were looking for, maybe this one's worth taking a risk on it. Um, it should ship at the end of this month and you could pre-order right from Amazon. The link's right here in the description. So yeah, I mean, as always, I have my reservations about any controller unless the community tests it 
lag test it and test for look and feel. Um, you know, obviously D pads are very important and a ton of aftermarket controllers have terrible D pads for some reason. So, you know, it, it's really up to us to determine if it's good quality or not. But once again, 20 bucks is a really great price for a controller. So take a look at the post and see if it's something you're interested in. Billy Time Games has just released a special edition ROM hack for the Sega Genesis version of Ghostbusters that adds a bunch of cool stuff, but one very important addition, you could now play as Winston. And the omission of Winston in so many different Ghostbusters related things always bugged me as a kid and even now. And yes, I know that at the beginning of Ghostbusters 1, the Ghostbusters are Ray, Egon, and Peter, but what Winston always brought to the table was that anybody could be a Ghostbuster. You don't have to read piles and piles of books about ancient spirits like Ray, and you don't have to be willing to drill a hole through your head like Egon. You could just join the team and be a Ghostbuster. And it always bugged me that he was left out. And now it's very cool that you get to play as him in this game if you want to. And, um, you know, but there's a bunch of very cool stuff here. Uh, Kevin did a great post that kind of outlines everything. And you could watch some gameplay footage on Kevin's channel as well. Uh, honestly, anything that you need to know about this patch is right here. There's examples, pictures, and links to where you could get it, as well as, of course, the, the playthrough from Kevin. And I don't know. This one was very awesome. I, I just I, I knew Billy was working on this for a while. I'd seen him teasing it on Twitter. I wasn't sure when it was going to be finished, but this is definitely very cool. Um, there's also a secondary version called the Ectoplasmic Edition that has a bunch of bonuses that could be activated by inputting the correct string of button presses at the title screen. So you could trigger like a director's cut mode that gives extra perks to Egon and Ray while Winston gets maxed out health and stamina, or you could give yourself infinite supplies, extra starting money, whatever else, you know, a nightmare mode if you really want to. But honestly, just kind of tweaking up a game and adding a character that was truly missing from the game is just absolutely cool enough for me. And I'm really looking forward to playing this one at some point. So please check out Kevin's post if you're interested. And thanks again to Billy for, for bringing back the everyman Winston that we could all just be like Winston and fight ghosts. <laughs> Steve from RetroTech recently posted a video about the Toshiba 24AF45 flat glass CRT. And the video goes into detail about it with three very important things that not many people knew about this set. First, how to access the service menu, obviously something that's super important, but also accessing the CRT hours counter. So you could kind of get an idea of how beat up it actually is. Although while that's very important info, use your eyes too. You know, I've, I have a BVM that technically has 100,000 hours on it that looks crispy as could possibly be and super bright. So hours are a great indicator, but also just look at it. And of course, there's also a velocity modulation mode, which is a feature that uses variable voltage around the edge of the CRT to increase sharpness along the edges of the picture area. But this could result in geometry problems along the edges. It's possible to disable the feature by disconnecting the VM cable from the CRT neckboard inside. So I imagine that might absolutely, it might make games look awesome and kind of clean some stuff up, or it might drive it 
crazy. And it, a lot of times when you're watching video, especially 480i video on a CRT, a lot of this stuff kind of isn't as noticeable. But when you're playing a video game, especially lower resolution, because there's less stuff on screen to distract you, bad geometry and a bunch of other stuff would really take could really take away from the experience. So the ability to disable that is pretty awesome. So you get step-by-step -step instructions and all of that stuff. And of course, just an overall um, overview of what it's like. So as always, thanks to Steve for doing all this. He puts so much work into all of this research and in these videos and is helping everybody that owns or might own one of these at some point. So please keep doing these, Steve. I really appreciate it. Hey, Dreamcast fans, remember that handful of games that supposedly could never be patched to work over the VGA cable in 480p? Well, I just did an interview with developer Alex, who figured out how to do just that. He started out patching Bangayo, which took over nine hours to do, and then using that method kind of streamlined a little bit, was able to patch a few other games. And while there are some hiccups and some, some more games that probably still need to be patched, at least it's possible now. And the interview was awesome. We went through and talked about all of the different resolutions, how each game sometimes works with some and some others. And I don't know, if you're into Dreamcast signals and resolutions and stuff like that, this is a much listen. It is an audio only interview, so probably best to listen to on any of those other platforms. If you want to listen on YouTube, that's cool. It's just going to have like a floating icon make, and it's definitely floating. So you don't have to worry about burning or anything, but you know, seeing views is always nice, but most importantly, I just want every Dreamcast fan who, who cares about this stuff to be able to hear it and understand all the work that went into it and what could be done now. Because first and foremost, if you're just using a PC CRT VGA monitor, now you could play a bunch of these games. And it is my personal choice that that is, or my personal favorite choice to play on one of those monitors, because I don't know why Dreamcast just feels like such a perfect fit for that. But it's also a pretty big deal for games that were 480i only before, because you would then have to deinterlace them before getting them on your flat panel. And anybody that's seen any of the comparisons, yes, motion adaptive deinterlacing could look absolutely beautiful, but it's never going to look as good as native 480p. So being able to run those games natively is just very cool. So thanks so much to Alex for doing this and for sharing the work and everything. And I'd also very selfishly like to see some of these 480i only games be patched to work in 240p if possible. You know, now why would you want a lower resolution? Well, it's all about the look and feel of what you're going for. And I talked about this a lot when I was talking about GameCube and Swiss enforcing 240p with that as well, but it's really preference based. Depending on the game, you might want something that has more of a retro 240p look, or if you're playing on a CRT, you might just want a nice 480i high resolution image going through it. But I just think there's a lot of people who play Dreamcast on an RGB monitor or a really awesome consumer grade CRT that doesn't support 480p that might want that choice as well. So um, who knows, maybe we could figure out how to do this. Maybe some games are easier than others. So maybe we could just kind of try a few of those out, but either way, thank you to Alex and please give this interview a listen if you're even remotely interested because this was a fun one. Now it's time for this week's Mr. Updates, Care of Lou from Lou's Retro Source. As usual, I'm going to skim through these, and if you hear anything that piques your interest, please check out Lou's video for all the details. 
First, the PlayStation Core now supports Mike Simone's YC work, so you can now natively output to S-Video and Composite. And I think that's awesome because there's a bunch of games like Silent Hill that I really think Composite on a CRT might look better because you blend all of the the messy early 3D graphics together. So that's, that's an awesome one. It's just preference, but now you have the option. Next, the Sega 32X core can now load and save backup data from SRAM and FRAM, so for games that save right onto the carts. And there's a bunch of other fixes to the core as well. And I'm so appreciative of that. Thank you, SRG320. The 32X is a giant pain to work on real hardware, but there are a bunch of cool games worth playing, so it's really good to see that. Um, also, Robert is working on the software emulator for the N64 core, and now only a few tweaks are needed before it could start working on or start FPGA testing. So just very quick to back up, Robert starts with software development tools first and then starts porting stuff over to FPGA development. So it's kind of cool. If Smash Brothers is running on the software emulator and so is Mario 64, then those have at least potential to get running on the mister. Kind of looking forward to seeing that. And also, Hotego will release a beta core for the Aliens game based on the Konami CPU this Friday, followed by a beta core for the Neo Geo Pocket on June 2nd. These are for Patreon subs only during the beta period, but will be released publicly afterwards. And Hotego also mentioned maintenance updates to current cords, which would add uh, S-Video and composite support as well. On a personal note, I do completely support the whole beta subscription service because it's really hard to release betas to the public because you might get a whole lot of uh, bug feedback that you already know about. You know, it's kind of people might think it's a finished core and they're going to flood you with bug reports. But having kind of a core group of people who are like, yes, you know, I'll pay for access. I'll pay to support you to continue to do this. And by doing so, I also know that this is a beta. So I'll report bugs back, but I also don't expect this to work perfectly right off the bat. So uh, I'm a fan of that. You don't have to be. It's, you know, everybody's entitled to their own opinion, but uh, I'm proud to support Hotego and as many, uh, many of the Mr. Developers as I could possibly afford to. Well, that's it. Uh, as always, thanks so much to Lou. Please subscribe to his channel because there's no way I could keep up with all this stuff without him. So thanks again, Lou. Crix has just released a new firmware for the RGB blaster, but if yours is working perfectly, don't touch it. This is specifically for people who have devices that weren't previously working. And it's not quite done yet, but if you have a RetroTINK 2X SCART, now it absolutely just works perfectly with it. It's still having trouble with the RAD 2X and the HD RetroVision cables, but it does look very promising and a couple more betas there might be full compatibility for everything. But I do think the most important thing to get out of this is that because there these tweaks are available, it does mean that there is hope. So if you have a RAD 2X and you were hoping to use it with the RGB blaster, just hold on for a little while longer. You actually could use it with the RAD 2X, but here's the issue. And here's where you really start to get past my knowledge of understanding. All of these beta updates that I've been testing only affect the sync signal. But somehow or another, 
that also affects brightness on certain devices. So there must be something else going on that's kind of throwing it off because the HD Retrovision cables and the Rad 2X do the same thing with brightness. And no, I didn't leave the switch on bright mode for the HD Retrovisions. Thank you to all the people who reminded me to check that, but this is definitely not it. And the fact that the HDRs and the Rad 2X has the same weird effect. I don't know, if you're um, if anybody here programs analog video signals and you have any clue please you know chime in for the comments somewhere and i could try to talk to cricks about it but it was definitely a weird one but most importantly compatibility is going up with this thing and i still think it is freaking amazing a plug and play zero lag light gun compatible rgb output for all top loading nes and famicom consoles i definitely think it's worth the money um, and right now, basically, you know, it, if you have a device that's not compatible, maybe hold off. But my ex my hopes are very high that uh, that Crix is going to be able to get something figured out in the relative future. No guarantees, of course, but, you know, I still think it's an awesome product and I'm going to be happy to continue to test it. And speaking of Cricks, I just tested the EDFX, which is a plug and play AV adapter for all Turbo Graphics and PC Engine consoles with the pins in back that also allows for stereo audio via the Turbo EverDrive Pro's optical drive emulation. So there's a whole bunch to talk about, but I'll just skip to the end real quick. First of all, this is a very low priced $50 adapter that performs awesome. In fact, if you're not using a Turbo EverDrive Pro, but you still just want um, AV out from your console, this might be the most cost-effective one out there at the moment. The spark plug was pretty cheap for a while, but I don't know if anybody has that in stock. I don't know what the heck happened to it. That was an awesome product as well. Um, but at the moment, it's available. This one is available to buy. It's lower priced, uh, and it's it works absolutely great. Now you get RGB and composite video via a Genesis 2 mini DIN port, and it was compatible with everything I tried. Obviously, RGBS, you know, SCART cables work perfect, and composite video cables work well, but Syncon composite cables, HD retrovision cables, the RAD 2X, every scaler I plugged it into, everything just worked perfect. Uh, the voltages were all good, and obviously, because this one gets analog video RGB signals from the back you still have the RGB color palette. That's kind of a whole other conversation for another time, but basically this is the same as almost every other plug and play adapter out there. So this is, Crix didn't do anything wrong. It's just, it's the way it is. Uh, I should probably try to put together a video on that someday just to show people what that's all about. But performance was great. Um, you know, compatibility was great. And also the big feature, if you have an EverDrive, a Turbo EverDrive Pro, that will get you stereo audio from all of the hue cards that support it and stereo effects from the CD games. But the CD soundtrack is mono only unless you're using this and certain other mods. And if that's the case, you just go into the audio options, flip the audio output to stereo, and now you could have CD audio as well in stereo. So this is a pretty big advantage, especially if you bought the Turbo EverDrive Pro because you have like a Turbo Express and an original PC engine. Now you could have it work on both, but now when you have it in your PC engine, you could also get stereo audio from it. So that's very cool. I also did MD4EA audio testing and it performed. It seemed like Crix modeled it against the Super CD-ROM 2 and the performance was stable and consistent. So all of that is just a huge compliment. Sounds great. Um, the, you know, the only thing to say is 
that you still are going to need to do the jail bar fix because no plug and play adapter that gets analog video signals could ever bypass that. They're two completely different things, but the jail bar fix is pretty easy. It's one capacitor. It is a surface mount cap. So if it's your first mod ever, maybe have somebody else do it. But if you've modded anything before successfully, you could probably pull this one off. So for me personally, right now, this is my go-to recommendation for plug-and-play adapters for any of the Turbo Graphics or PC Engine consoles that support it, regardless if you're using the Turbo EverDrive Pro or not. Definitely avoid those ones that you see on AliExpress. Some of them are made so badly that they're probably dangerous to use and have been, and they just people aren't fixing them. So uh, if you, there are other very good adapters out there, of course, you just have to make sure that They've been approved by people in the community, uh, but this one is definitely awesome. So they're available right now. All you need is any Genesis 2 cable to go along with it. I link to all the ones that I've personally tested and support. But overall, this is awesome. If you want very deep, detailed analysis of this, you could check out the live stream I did. It's split into two parts because I uh, my computer crashed during the first part, but everything's right there. And uh, honestly, uh, I just think this one's very cool. So if you're looking for an AV out solution for your PC engine or turbo graphics, this should probably be the first one that you at least consider before seeing the other options out there. I wanted to quickly mention a live stream I did last week where I tried two versions of Metroid that were ported to the Super Nintendo. The first was the original NES game that was ported using Pro Project Nested, so it wasn't a manual port, but it still seemed to play great. And the developer QBear had added a very neat synth MSU1 audio soundtrack to it. And I thought that was awesome. I really appreciated QBear's work getting that done. And obviously, I always appreciate all the work on the Zeldix forums for these. So overall, I, I thought it was very cool. But the other one that I also tried was Retroid, which was a Super Metroid hack where the menu is very close, if not closer than Zero Mission to the original map of Metroid. And it had some things tweaked on it. It was definitely harder than Super Metroid, which I thought was a good thing because it wasn't impossible, but it was more towards the challenge of the original Metroid. And I just thought it was really great to see the compare and contrast of the two. You know, if you love original NES Metroid, you would probably like to play that one because you know, playing it on the SNES, you can get less slowdown. Um, you know, there's less sprite flicker on it. And while there were some bugs in there, it certainly was playable, at least as far as I go through it. But on the flip side, if you're a giant fan of Super Metroid, then here's another way to experience it. Um, I would absolutely love to see QBear implement a version of this that has the same Zero Mission MSU1 soundtrack that was applied to Retroid. I think that might kind of change the experience as well. And I, I, in fact, I'd love to continue that stream where I left off at some point soon with that Zero Mission soundtrack. But I'd also love to see all of the other Metroid work implemented into it. The map support, um, and heck, maybe because it's on a Super Nintendo, the map could be more than three pixels wide. I'm not teasing the developers. They're absolutely pushing the NES to the limit for doing that. That was that was an NES tease, not a developer tease. But I would love to just continue and take it one step further. So if you're a fan of this stuff, maybe check it out. Um, I would really love to do a follow-up. I spoke to QWERTY Moto, who had some fixes for Retroid. The map was all messed up. So sometimes when you save the game and go back into it, all of the places that you already visited on the map now looks like you never went there, which is... A giant pain in an exploration-based game. So hopefully QWERTY would have time to kind of finish that up. But 
these are two really awesome ways to re-experience Metroid, and I definitely want to swing back around to it. So thanks to everybody on the Zeldix forum for working on these. Thanks to QWERTY, thanks to QBear, and hopefully I will have a second of these kind of follow-up stream soon. Well, that's it for this week. As always, thanks to everybody who watches, listens, and plays nicely in the comments, and I'll see you next week.